from India's largest newsroom I'm Arun George and this is the Times of India podcast Mana ki abhi tere mere अरमानों की कीमत कुछ भी नहीं मिट्टी का भी है कुछ मोल मगर इंसानों की कीमत कुछ भी नहीं इंसानों की इज्जत जब जिस दिन झूठे सिक्कों में तोली न जाएगी वो सुबह कभी तो आएगी वो सुबह कभी तो आएगी ट्रेड यूनियनिस्ट एंड ह्यूमन राइट्स लॉयर सुधा भरद्वाज सिंगिंग हर फेवरेट सॉन्ग पिन बाय साहिर लुधियानवी सुधा भरद्वाज हैज बीन आउट ऑफ द हेडलाइंस फॉर अ वाइल सो लेट्स रिफ्रेश योर मेमोरी सुधा भरद्वाज इज वन ऑफ द 17 पीपल अरेस्टेड इन व्हाट इज कॉल्ड द एल्गर परिषद केस one of those accused and arrested in the case was jesuit priest tan swami who died in custody in 2021 The 17 people arrested in the case are accused of delivering inflammatory speeches at the Elgar Parishad conclave in Pune on the 31st of December in 2017. The Maharashtra police claimed that the speeches triggered violence at the Bhima Koregaon War Memorial, which is a significant place for the Dalit community. The police claimed that the Elgar Parishad event was backed by Maoists and the probe was later taken up by the National Investigation Agency. Two Hindutva group leaders accused of making hate speeches before the Elgar Parishad event never faced any serious charges. Sudha Bhardwaj was granted bail in 2021. She can't talk about the specifics of the case yet, but she can talk about her new book titled From Farsi Yard: My Year with the Women of Yerwada, which has just been released. The book is an account of the world of women prisoners in Yerwada jail in Pune. Where Bardwaj was lodged for two years in the high security wing that is called Farsi Yard. My colleague Alka Dubkar caught up with her at the house in Mumbai that she is required to stay in as part of the conditions for her being granted bail. Among other things, Alka spoke with Sudha Bardwaj about her time in prison, what her book documents, why she is still an optimist, and the importance of dissidence in a democracy. I don't know if we should congratulate you on this book because, as you have named it, Farsi Yard. dedicated this book to all who are unjustly incarcerated do you count yourself in one of those yes i think i do but i think i am one of many many people have been unjustly incarcerated and uh, yeah that is why the book is dedicated to them one of your bail conditions says that you must not leave mumbai you have described this situation uh, previously as you are in exile so uh, would you like to elaborate on this how badly do you miss chatisgarh actually at a very young age at the age of 25 itself i got involved with the trade union of uh, late comrade shankar guhaniyogi and ever since then i have been in chatisgarh working with the first in delhi rajara then in bhilai then it was the trade union movement itself which made me a lawyer and uh, then i uh, shifted to bilaspur where we had a group of lawyers called janhit so my entire life has been there and uh, my friends my colleagues my comrades my young associates everybody are there so it is really exile for me i miss everything about chatisgarh are you a true mumbaiker now to be frank 
Oh yes. <laughs> I find uh, Mumbai uh, still a very much working class city even though all the mills have closed down. It still has a very working class flavor about it. And now that I've got used to traveling in the local trains and uh, all that, one thing I find that it's a very it's a very alive city. It's a very, you know, all the time bustling, moving and of course rents are prohibitively expensive i'm just very lucky that i have friends who are willing to allow me to live in their houses otherwise i couldn't have afforded it but yes food maybe you can purchase for 5 rupees a meal and 5000 rupees a meal also all kinds of people are here and the city in a sense embraces all of them so i am also one in the crowd i feel embraced by the city One of the things Sudha Bhardwaj documents in her book is being forced to trade in her sarees for a salwar kurta in jail. When Alka spoke with her, she was dressed in a blue kurta and salwar. She explains to Alka how the saree became a part of her life and why she had to change what she wore in jail. I used to wear uh, salwar kurta in my early union days during the Bhilai movement, which was a major movement of the contract workers of Bhilai. So that time during that rail roco agitation there was a police firing 17 people had died many people were in jail some people were wounded they were in the hospital and at that time i used to be rushing around from place to place sometimes to the hospital sometimes to the court sometimes to the union office and i became very conspicuous because of my salwar kurta which is not a very normal dress in chatisgarh mostly grown up women wear saree I think just to you know be normal like everybody else uh, in 1992 I just took a decision I'll only wear sari and uh, that continued till I was arrested I was surprised by the the jail not permitting uh, t-shirts and pants and so on and later on I realized that that is because the jail has a concept of being feminine and it is very concerned about women who dress like men because I think it also Uh, has that uh, typical stigma about lesbianism so that is the real reason and that is why they insist that either you wear salwar kurta or you wear saree and because we have to wash all our clothes and sarees too difficult <laughs> to do so much of washing there's no space to dry it so yeah so i shifted to salwar kurta and i've continued with that okay. otherwise for many many years i had been wearing saree why would you name the book <laughs> the name you have given from fancy yard yes this was me looking out from fancy yard later on when we went to baikala we were in the barracks and it was probably we had much more opportunity uh, to talk and discuss with other prisoners but because there i more or less became a lawyer i was writing applications and all that so there's a certain ethics of being a lawyer you don't talk about your cases to people So that that's when my writing the stories about the women stopped and my notebooks were only filled with you know CR number police station sections and what is to be written in the application and all that because we were in the in the, the in that single cell it would be surprising how did i get to know these stories at all and that is what i've tried to explain uh, in in the section about how this book came to be written which when we went for mulakat or when we went to the court so when we went for canteen or to the hospital or when we were queuing up to get the water or you know these were the occasions on which we would bump into these women and talk to them so actually the sketches were written when i felt that i knew enough about a person but it would happen over maybe many encounters with that person 
and that's why there's no date or it's not, it's not really a diary it's gathering that and then when i felt i knew a woman well enough then i would write about her how did you keep your connection with the outside world when you were in prison as a prisoner under the uapa we have restrictions on who can come and meet us so it is only either our lawyers or blood relatives they they very strict about that for example people from my union could not come so it would be just lawyers and um, my daughter basically because i don't have nobody else in my family really but yeah when we went to the court uh, many people would come to the court to meet us but they would be restricted they would not be allowed to talk to us they were kept at a distance we actually got a remarkable number of letters and postcards in solidarity from all over the world but uh, we were not given most of them because all letters which go to the jail are censored so actually it, it takes about a week within the jail for those letters to be read and then passed on to us and most of these because they say who are these people unknown people are writing to them so in yerwada i hear that many people wrote to me on my birthday uh but i never got those letters but in baikal we were given uh, those letters and uh, that was a, a beautiful thing and otherwise of course newspapers when we were in yerwada between uh, professor sen and myself we would take the indian express and the hindu and in baikal we would also take mumbai mirror uh, we really missed it when it went <laughs> that was one of our favorite newspapers of course in baikal when we were in the barrack then there was the television also but you know how it is the remote of the of the tv is with the kamwali so she is the one who decides <laughs> which nagin serial we have to see and which saas bahu serial we have to see sometimes you know when there will be tea time say, please 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 five minutes and tv dekhne do na and then <laughs> put on for the to see what is the news of the farmers agitation or whatever it is so that's how we so, we kept ourselves in touch with the world through stories you have portrayed life inside the prison and the harsh realities which yeah. we are aware of but more details but tell me about yourself how was your journey and how were your days inside prison did you ever lose hope how did you manage your stress when bail was rejected i think that is just that is me as a personality that uh, right from my young days i from the age of 25 or so i've always worked in collectives so i i worked with the trade union then uh, in a collective of lawyers in the pucl always with groups and always with with a lot of people so it was very it was a very isolating experience uh, to be uh, in the cell and i think actually my way of getting over what you're saying that you know how did you feel I, it, my way of getting over was writing these stories i mean this was really cathartic for me that i was trying to make sense i was trying to reach out to these women without being able to really reach out to them it is not that it was an unthinkable thing that happened to me but of course when it happens it is shocking initially but i think the positive thing about me is that i'm very conscious that even in that Uh, situation we were still much more privileged than most of the women around us many of them were very poor a lot of them were uneducated some of them were completely illiterate many of them had been abandoned by their families uh, they didn't have proper lawyers they didn't know what was the condition of their case and uh, in baikala i had no time once they got to know that you know auntie is a lawyer and auntie is ready to help 
and ready to write uh, the applications in triplicate in hindi i didn't know that much i didn't know marathi so i had write it in hindi for them and also that auntie doesn't tell stories but she doesn't tell tales she doesn't gossip about the case she doesn't talk about one prisoner to another prisoner so when they got this idea about me they started lining up auntie mera please charge sheet par do you know please write this application for me i would be busy sometimes till 12 o'clock at night i'd be writing the applications of course the uh, disappointment about bail uh, and all that in a way when i came into jail i told myself look one has to just trust on friends outside that they will get get me the best uh, possible legal defense and one just has to wait so in that sense i sort of steeled myself for a long stay and that is why i didn't have to suffer so much when bail was rejected so many times and that was deliberate but yes i really missed my daughter and i think my daughter really missed me uh, i had come to delhi thinking i need to give time and place to my daughter it's a critical time in her career she needs some support i need to earn something also to put her through college so uh, it's ironical that that was the time i was picked up so at a time when i was acutely aware that i need to give her time that is exactly the time when i was taken away from her so it was a bad time for her when sudha bhardwaj was released on bail one of the photos released by a friend on social media showed her inside a car smiling broadly at the camera it's a smile that pops up often during the interview as well alka asked her about why even photos taken of her while she was being arrested captured her smiling when a situation is very bizarre when you don't even understand you know why are you being picked up what is happening with you why is this happening with you i think my reaction is to laugh <laughs> what else can you do rone se to koi fayda hai nahi to even just has to smile and bear it and that is what i did there were very rare occasions uh, when i would feel very bad most of the time when i got uh, letters from my daughter i would feel very bad because the letters were full of her sadness her loneliness difficulties that she was having and i knew that by the time i write the reply to her that moment will have come and gone i am not able to comfort her it was only on very few occasions that that would happen and uh, otherwise i would keep myself busy We're back in conversation with trade unionist and human rights lawyer Sudha Bhardwaj, who has just released a book called From Farsi Yard. In this segment, Alka speaks to Sudha Bhardwaj about her entry into trade unionism, what drives her activism, and what fuels her hope that she will get justice one day. So you were born in USA. You spent your primary school days in England, grown up in JNU campus, and then studied at IIT Kanpur before pursuing law degree. How did your educational journey impacted your personality apart from mathematics i also loved history i loved literature particularly history of the freedom struggle i am extremely interested in and uh, that passion remains with me the rigorous science background uh, which i the study which i did in iit kanpur for a mathematics degree i think helped me in in a way logic and law go well together I became a lawyer only much later at at the age of 40 or so uh, and that was because my union needed a lawyer and uh, it's difficult for workers to afford a lawyer 
But what helped me the most was being with people. What you learn from being there, from living with people, from struggling with people, it is when you try to change something that you understand most about it. That's when you you really understand how things work. The theory was important, but the practice was far more important. Highly educated person like you could have got into any foreign university and focused on personal financial growth. Why did you become a human rights activist or trade unionist? You have mentioned in the book that your parents returned to India in response to the appeals made for nation building efforts. Do you have the satisfaction of continuing their legacy? How did I come to those choices? I mean, it happened so gradually and naturally that I, 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 it's difficult for me to really point out exactly how and when. My parents also took choices of this kind. My mother chose to return from Cambridge, chose to come and set up a center for economic studies and planning. It was a center of excellence within the, the JNU. It became one of the most celebrated departments of economics. In history, in, in, in political science, in economics, there were really very uh, original uh, minds working there in, uh, in that university. So I think all that uh, definitely had an impact. When I started interacting with the working class, that is where I think the whole shift from an academic or intellectual profession to uh, deciding to go with the people's movement, go with the union, that I think that decision came to me pretty early. Uh, uh, it came to me during my my period in uh, of study in IIT Kanpur. Around the end of that, 83, 84 was the time when the Asiad was happening and all those construction work was happening in Delhi and all these laborers were being brought from Rajasthan, from Chhattisgarh, from the poor rural areas from the hinterland and being brought to construct all these stadia and flyovers and uh, all that. There's a transformation in, in Delhi because of the virtually bonded labor conditions of those workers. And I think that was when I decided that, you know, I have to pit my lot in with them. And, and it has to be a whole time thing. It can't be a part time thing. It has to be whole time. And then I was lucky enough that uh, we got introduced to Shankar Guhan Yogi. And then when I went to Delhi Rajara, so I was completely floored by it. <laughs> and uh, that, that union, it was such a experience being part of it. It was like sitting in the lap of the people. It was a bustling place and so many experiments were being carried out and people were so enthusiastic about it. And the, there was a hospital, there was schools being run by the union, there was the anti-alcohol movement and all that. And then gradually, when it came to the Bhilai movement, then uh, uh, ji suggested that we should get involved in the trade union itself. Uh, initially, I thought that I will go and teach in the school there and so on, but then I became a part of the union and then later the union workers told me to become a lawyer, so I became a lawyer. Did you ever regret renouncing uh, American citizenship? Never. Not for a moment. Never. See, I am very much, uh, very much an Indian. My parents were Indian and very much an Indian. And uh, from becoming an urban Indian, I, I wouldn't say I've become a rural Indian. I've become very much a part of Chhattisgarh and of, of, of that community of workers. And uh, I've interacted with workers and farmers and Adivasis from that area. I, I consider myself completely Chhattisgarhi. So what is the need to go to America or anywhere yeah. else?
Do you hold any passport now? Or no. Ever since I renounced my citizenship, I never got a passport made. I didn't bother to get a passport made. I ask this question because we know that the numbers of people renouncing Indian citizenship huh. is only growing every year. <laughs> Should they be part of nation building <laughs> efforts or not? I don't know. It's difficult for me. I mean, these are personal choices. But um, I believe that building the nation uh, is not just the growth concept which is given that you know the corporates are making a lot of money but the actual living conditions of people is getting more and more miserable that is not my idea of development or my idea of growth my idea of growth and development is when people's lives become better when they have a secure livelihood when they have a decent house to live in when their children can go to school they have decent medical facilities when we are able to protect the environment we we at least have clean water and clean air so uh, i think those things are worth fighting for and uh, working for okay. and and this is my country i i have to work and fight here so you started your first formal job at the age of 58 it went on for a couple of years and then 3 years in prison uh, did you try to get employment after you released on bail well uh, it was at the age of 58 and i was only lucky enough to teach for a year i loved teaching in the national law university i was fortunate enough to teach there and i had some marvelous students and i thoroughly enjoyed teaching there in fact i had been given an extension so i would have probably taught for another year uh, at least uh, had i not been arrested after coming out i have really not tried for a formal employment because i'm quite aware that it will be very difficult for any university or any institution uh, to take me up as an employee because of this case and so on i'm very lucky that i'm a lawyer Uh, and a lawyer is an independent intellectual in that sense and they are sort of self employed at the moment basically it is unions which are supporting me i do legal cases for them and uh, i'm lucky enough to uh, be associated with a senior advocate for whom i'm able to draft cases and so on so uh, basically it is my legal work which sustains me a person like you has social capital but general assumptions or biases are that human activists like you get a lot of foreign funding well i think somebody just needs to look at my bank account and they'll get they get to know that the only regular money which came in was when i taught for that one year um and no i have never uh, been funded by anybody before it was my union which supported me throughout my uh, years in chatisgarh later on to some extent yes uh, my legal work i never earned money i earned a lot of friends i think that is what i really earned and that is what has held me instead i mean that is why i am surviving today i think again not because of money but because of friends so you were saying that when you walked out of jail you you had nothing in your bank account absolutely i had nothing uh, that's absolutely correct you have called yourself a constitution abiding person but do you feel that people like you are looked up as dissidents in current time see um, uh, being a dissident is not uh, being anti democratic a democracy demands uh, uh, dissidents of certain kind for example a democracy requires a free press and a free press is a critical press 
democracy demands that there should be a, 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 a an opposition uh, without an opposition you can't have a democracy so uh, certain kinds of dissidents are built into democracy and uh, i think as a lawyer as a trade unionist as a human rights activist uh, it's perfectly constitutional to be a dissident in that form uh, in fact it's it's required uh, in order that you actually uh, have a, a you know living growing democracy so uh, for you what is the true meaning of freedom i think the true meaning of freedom is to be able to what one thinks is right to be able to uh, be with people and what i have done all my life um which is uh, be with people be along with them in their fight to have a better society that is my greatest freedom within whatever limitations i mean i have to be here in mumbai um, and I, i can't go back to the place of my work uh, that's why i call it an exile but despite that i would say within my restrictions i'm still continuing with my life in the same way how do you and your daughter prepare for the future being lodged inside the jail one more time cannot be ruled out right i think this is the reality that we have to face i mean i am still only out on bail the trial is extending ahead of us though i believe that i will be acquitted but trial is yet to happen and the 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 judgment is yet to be passed do you ever discuss this possibility my daughter doesn't like discussing it <laughs> and i quite see why i just hope that i get the time at least to help her stand on her own feet before such an eventuality comes uh, and i also hope that uh, we will all be acquitted of this case do you believe that you will get justice from the system i think uh, justice and equality are two things which are very innate to the human being even if they are two very small children you give one child one roti you give another child two rotis the child with one roti will throw away that one roti and say you give me just like that person so the sense of equality and justice is very deep inside us and i believe that that cannot be suppressed for long even if for some time in a system it appears that these uh, these uh, very basic fundamental emotions are being suppressed it cannot go on forever uh, no kind of uh, suppression no kind of uh, tyranny can last forever it's not possible so you are an optimist and oh, hopeful yes, very much so. i believe in uh, in in humanity i believe in people and i think they are powerful enough sometime or the other to make those changes Today's episode was produced by Jairad Singh and Anuja Singh. For a daily spotlight on people, ideas and stories that matter, subscribe to us. We're available on TOI Plus, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts and all other platforms of your choice. For any news tips, email us at toipodcast@timesinternet.in.